Tipped over into another dimension. I'll Don't take be faded so into awesomeness. Wow, you're being a positive faded. one? <laughs> that... Faded into awesomeness. That sounds like you were once something even more awesome than awesome. Or the best metal name ever. Faded into awesomeness is totally a metal band name. That's that right. Is, yeah, yeah, the, the see, they side. would have it's an like ego. You couldn't do death metal. No, it'd be like, like Euro metal. Like light Euro metal. Yeah. Maybe light even Euro. industrial. Yeah. Him, him was light Euro metal, wasn't it? Sort, sort of. Either way, though, metal in general has the ego that I would, have, I would expect them to fade Into to something awesomeness. as, as, as you know, meek, measly as awesome. Yeah, right. It's What's so that? meek and measly. What is that? Um, I, I have it. Butchered awesome death. So moving on. Um, over the weekend, I was, I did sound for Rar Burlesque again. Um, I've been working with them the last couple of months. Um, future guests Danger Doll and Stella Chu are the co-producers of it who will hopefully be coming on but before that show I went to Kitty Nights which is a weekly Sunday every Sunday burlesque show this one happened to be hosted by fr- uh, friend of one of the hosts and hopefully soon friend of the show um, Share for the Dark Lord who listens hello Mr. Dark Lord um, he was hosting and he performed his two new songs Rar and Don't Rar which is where he Samples Roar by Katy Perry, and then Don't, which is the college. Is there a col- zip, is there a zip file pun in there, by any chance? Is it R no, or not Dot Roar? Okay. And then the second song you had to you had to process that, didn't you? The second song on that that two track single that he released was Don't, which I played for you guys, which was that college classroom parody featuring Charles Stunning, who is our guest next month with her bandmate in Afterbirth Monkey. The cool thing about the live performance is he had a little spiel at the beginning and he was holding a handful of papers for a fill in the song where when he's yelling at the class, he throw, there's the sound of throwing papers. So he actually threw papers live. I kept one. I put a picture of it on Facebook. It's actually a syllabus breakdown and the base explanation of the, of the course is the lyrics. That's cool. And That's then, really good. Idea. And at the top, it's got like his his name, his email address, and like his contact info. And then on the bottom, it says downloads, like for the course, and it's the download link to the actual two songs because they're free. And it was really, I thought it was really clever, actually. That is some some bands so throw their underwear. <laughs> he throws syllabuses. It's, it's syllabi. Syllabi. It's less Mr. Dark Lord and more Professor Dark Lord now. It is actually Professor Dark Lord. He graduated. Oh, okay. He's no longer a... Uh, with honors. Is he, yeah. is with he a t- honors. Is he a TA now? Like, no, he's a professor. Oh, oh legit. He oh. went from Mr. to Professor. You can, you're you a Mr. as a TA. Yeah. And then you're a professor. Yeah. Right. When he's not, not Dr. Dark Lord yet. We haven't gotten there. Oh. Well, well uh, doctorates are so time-consuming. Like, do you really need one? 
No, I think what was it? When did when did Sheldon on Big Bang Theory? When did he get his the doctorate? Like like eight years old or something like that? Yeah, seriously, he, you're beyond that at that point. Leonard, I think it was more like twenty four, but <laughs> I still don't remember. You know, and Howard's the only one who doesn't have one. I read all this yesterday. I really had nothing to do. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got to see him perform the two new songs live, which was great. I chatted with him a bit. Um, the newest episode of his podcast, the Epic Podcast. They did a War of the Worlds spoof, which was fun. Like, they had their regular podcast, and then it would get interrupted by clips of War of the Worlds-esque stuff um, culminating in the world being The destroyed. classic... He's talking about the classic... Radio British, play. British rendition where oh, people okay. actually thought... That's... The radio play. Alien invasion. That's a lot more interesting. Because yes. they didn't actually explain that's that this o- is a reading of a book. That's... Yes. That's the only one I count as existing. I pretend the movie didn't happen. Which one? <laughs> yeah, All of them. There ah, was a 1950s that... one, but yeah, it, it, but no, even I meant, it was not that good. I meant the Orson Welles original War of the Worlds. They spoofed that and did okay. it quite well. Um, also, there's future collaborations with Epic Podcast in the near future, which we discussed a bit as well. But it was good to see him perform again and perform his new songs. Um, besides that, the weekend wasn't that much more eventful for me, musically anyway. Yeah, um, we'll I, get into some know. other you, stuff later. You got a couple minutes worth of that. I did. That was pretty Oh, actually, there was Rabble a blessed performer who rapped while stripping, and That's she ra- and she rapped a parody. She rapped Get Your Freak On, but instead it was called Put Your Dick On, and she was wearing a strap on at the end. That sends mixed messages. It was actually kind of an awesome I guess, performance. I mean, well, like her the, name most was stripping. I assume that every article of clothing was breakaway because you know if you're trying to take your shirt off, and she actually you have wrapped to speak through your shirt. She, she actually she actually wrapped uh, through the bulk of the song, and she was only wearing a trench coat, pasties, and the strap on. So it wasn't it wasn't a huge ordeal oh, okay. on, on 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 dress. Her name was Nikki Nickers. Well. um... If anyone's curious, then they have the name. So you can look it up. Um, I don't know if she has an online presence yet, because she was debuting that night. Um, okay, anyway, I guess that uh, lets us go to John. Our album of the week is his pick. As I was explaining last week, this week's choice was something that I just see, saw popping up left, right, and center when I was looking for an electronica album, because I was at my wit's end. Uh, I was looking in indie, I was looking in alt-rock, I was looking in regular rock, I was looking in prog, I couldn't find anything that was really jumping out to me, so I made a bet to Steve a while back that I would find a, not just a good, not just a great, but an epic, epic techno album. Well, I didn't find that, but I came, I I found something pretty darn good. Love, Death, and Immortality, the sophomore album of The Glitch Mob. Uh, It is... It is a combination of Electronica, uh, Glitch, which is a specific field of techno where you tend to sample computer noises, scratching, skipping, a lot of reverb and a lot of the instruments that you would hear from, like, say, MIDI files. And uh, this, this actually is a really much the, a dance album. That's what it is first and foremost, but a techno dance album. Um... And yeah, that's how that's how I got this one, and I was very happy for finding it that way. As well, I were... <laughs> wow, that was like at the same time. As I, I love I... how both people have both of you. Well, no, I was just we're both I... about to you know uh, attack John for something. I'm sure. No, actually, I was about to mention Only that when we had Hops on on episode seventy-seven. Um, he mentioned Glitch Mob as someone he listened to. That's I right, recall, because I we believe. were discussing. That's where, yeah, that's where it actually Vapor started City. me finding all this stuff about Glitch. The album uh, was Vapor City by Machine Drum. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that that fell under Glitch Hop. 
come yeah. to think of it. So I remember hearing the name through him. Um, well, we, we, we've come across a variety of electronic music, and it's always interesting when we get into this discussion because electronica is at the top of it. That's the umbrella category for which all these other things fall. Because, of course, you know, anything can be electronic. You know, you can go back to the 50s and find, like, early electronica music. But then, beyond that, it's really just what you want to listen to it for. Yeah. Do you want to dance to it? Do you want to just zone out to the... Uh, to the complexity that is possible by a computer that obviously isn't uh, possible by humans. Um, well, and I think this really leans more toward the dancing side of that spectrum. Because on one hand, John's, John's goal here, I, I think, was to find something that um, was highly technical. And though this does have technical moments, it needs to be constrained within human comprehension and not just human comprehension but human comprehension on the dance floor what your feet are actually able to do which means still in the end fairly steady beats yeah i would agree with that although i mean i've seen dancing i've seen different types of dancing that would indicate that dancing has evolved upon upon oh, a base past a sure. base past a basic rhythm anyway well people would even argue that you know going back to ballet it was more complicated back then than for sure what most people are doing to trance which is just fist bumping but um th the thing is that one of those things that i think you're thinking of is of course idm intelligent dance music which implies there's going to be a lot more going on there so yeah. probably not to be played on the layman's dance dance floor or uh on the dance floor of a sweet 16 but um even so this was supposed to fall under the category of IDM. You found that in several places. Not IDM, EDM. EDM. Oh, EDM. I misspoke that. Okay, so it, it is not labeled IDM anywhere. No, EDM, electric dance music. All right, that changes things a little bit. Okay. <laughs> you drop the eye away, it's not intelligent anymore. Well, the I'm whole not thing... saying this is not intelligent. I just think it's there... more accessible. It's more accessible than, than IDM. Than it lets on, perhaps? Yeah, well, I also want to ask, is there an SDM? Is there stupid dance music? Actually, that's one of the biggest discussions about the naming of IDM. IDM, Intelligence Dance Music. Everybody hates it. Hates <laughs> the name. The people who make that music, the fans, the people who hate that music. Everybody is kind of upset at that name. Because it yeah, implies that, that other music is stupid. Most it, of the yeah, people who make true. it are just... And only, like, the real diehard fans and the diehard critics are the ones that keep referring to it as IDM. Yeah, there's, but, a, there's a pretentiousness there that yeah. I don't think is very appealing to most people. And by the way, Matt, no, there is no SDM because it would often be confused with BDSM. So. Which is a whole different category. Yeah. category. Um, let's, why don't we actually it's get into the record, which I don't too. think that John actually mentioned the name of, which is I, The Glitch Mob is the band. That's what I, I, know I said, Love, Death, Immortality we by The Glitch Mob. The sophomore album. I even remember what I said for once. Oh, I didn't. But I never do. As, um, a, as we were saying, this, is their, second, well this yes. is their second album. Uh, and it starts with Mind of the Beast. So this was a high energy intro track. It, you know, it, it had all of the tropes and things you would expect from a trance song. No. It did not have all the tropes. That's, I don't like the, no, no, I'm refuting that right away. Yes, frantic intro, but did introduce a lot of, of things you don't find in standard trance songs piano I'm gonna, work. I'll, I'm gonna piano say work. first off he's right in one thing. area that's instrumentation instrumentation wise yes this separates itself a little okay. bit I, I, st I started to think about this track as a sort of unholy child of all because in a way it, it does 
it is trance music. You can hear that at least in the, in its presentation, in the framework, the form of this track is is definitely trance. But then, yeah, when you start to listen to the instrumentation here and there, it actually borrows quite a bit from metal or the kind that you would find, you know, in like the arena rock back in like the '80s. At least that tone about it. Certain things like the very heavy reverb on the on the instrument that is made to sound somewhat like a guitar. And the expose of some of the instrumentation. The way uh, some of the... You get, not solos, but like mini solos. Mini exposés of what the actual tone, <laughs> the, the instrument is doing. Yeah, little things here and there. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat between this because I have to say, instrumentation alone does not really take away. It depends on how you're going into it. But the, the first thing that I was able to hone in on really was the form of the track. And that means you know, very steady beats, slow, dramatic volume swells, these fairly simplistic but really loudly stated high-register melodies. And that's common in a lot of trance, that, that sort of screeching uh, higher of melody that, that almost cuts through you like a knife. But at the same time, it's something to fist pump to. This, these are all elements of trance. The fact that there is a piano there, the fact that there is few other elements, a very deep grumbling bass toward the end, that's not so common in trance. Uh, a, another heavy guttural percussion uh, breakdown around the, about the 2, 220 minute mark. That's right. A real, a real guttural guttural piece that you actually hear more towards the leanings of those those metal or industrial ideas. That's actually the bass I was talking about, right around the 220 mark. It was um, it was okay. sort of a B section for this. It, it sounded like a big die down, but then at the same time... Um, can't quite call it a slowdown, but of course the beat is not changing here, but it's certainly a breather for this track, because most of it is just loud, loud, loud. But again, that's common for trance too. They always have to take that breather where they have to pull back and then slowly build up again. Okay, so I wouldn't say it was all trance tropes, but they were there. They were there in this song. They, But it did... It did have something about it that did I'm keep it engaging. I'm proving your point, actually. I'm proving no, that in the end, it really is trance, I think. It, I mean, it had trance tropes for sure, which is what I was saying. Even if the whole song wasn't specifically trance, those things were there. But it also had an engaging quality to it, the fact that when it did come back to the high energy, the high energy did pull you in. I mean, if you wanted to be. You know, if you were resistant, that's one thing. But, but there was that energy to get consumed <laughs> in if you wanted to... Accept it and if go with it. If you just weren't having the fist pumping, then it wouldn't ensnare you, I guess is what you're saying. Well, yes. And that yeah. whole engaging aspect, which I think is one of the biggest draws for this album as a whole for me, is the use of things like piano tones, guitar tones, uh, right, bass we, tones that are deviant from your standard We trance. get some of this later. I feel like it's not really here as far as an intro goes. I think it's it's more it's more along the lines of the metal-inspired things, and that is definitely... Um, well, no, it's, it's those little aspects. It's the deviation from the trance that really does make it much more engaging to me than your standard fare. Right. Tonal variances, but not form variances. Correct. Which is more or less what I was saying, is that the form was very similar to stuff I'd heard before, even though the tonal differences did stand out, especially in very specific moments. All right, well, let's let's look at a couple of other things here. Uh, later in track two, we get Our Demons, featuring Aja Volkman. It's A-J-A and then Volkman. So, pronounce <laughs> Miss, it as you will. I was not doubting Miss the Volkman. Volkman. Yeah. Um, uh, she's actually the vocal uh, aspect of this track, and just to let you know, every even track has a female vocalist singing on it. Every odd track doesn't. It's a weird composition. The oddest thing to note. 
Yeah, but it's true. He's Every right. other song is featuring her. And she actually does come back. Interesting. This is um, also a bit of a departure from what I personally like about trance or techno or electronic in general. I don't really like vocals in my wub-wubs. I don't. <laughs> to put it simply. I just find that the most hilarious observation. Because most people obviously are not going to wub-wubs for vocals. Um, but then again, most people dislike Wub Wubs because it lacks vocals, and here you are coming along to say that you don't like vocals in your Wub Wubs. It's this very odd circular logic. And the whole reason is because of the way vocals are used in electronic music tends to be as just a short little burst line thrown in randomly in the song at a culmination of a build-up or at the, a, at the culmination of a breakdown, something like that. Here it's being used a little bit differently. Yes. And that's where I really do enjoy it. So yeah, this song um, I have quite a bit to say about because, I mean, a lot to say and not a lot to say at the same time, I guess. So the thing about this song is it starts it's it, it starts in a very kind of cliche, almost 2000s metal kind of way, almost industrial. Fast, high, deep, low. Yeah, but it's abrasive. And then so is the singing. When it comes in... The, the singer, she is very abrasive in her style, very reminiscent of Amy Lee, but more so abrasive than Amy Lee. And I think what really got me about this song is in style and in sound and in rhythm, it very much reminded me of that early to mid-2000s industrial metal, new metal sound. I heard the same thing, and I thought, believe it or not, that it could have actually used some evanescence, and I don't say that often. I don't, I don't think well, I Well, actually, I would change that to you don't say that ever. Yeah. Until now. <laughs> yes. But, but. This is, this that was is kind where, of implied. But, yeah. but, but I had said very early on when talking to Steve that his com- his complaints with this track, I don't argue one bit. However, I still ate it up like candy. I just, for whatever. Well, it no, was see, really, the it, hit that, it hit that nostalgic note that really pulled me in and really made me like this song. Even the, the name of the song, Our Demons, is very much an. Evanescence-ish style sounding Well, song let's talk title. about, you know, position here. Like, obvi- cr- on the chronology, yes, this is that early 2000 sound. I, I don't think any that's really lost on anybody because it was pre- pervasive at the time and, yeah, kind of spearheaded by Evanescence. People hear it and they either go one way or the other with it. Uh, in my experience, because of how dated it's starting to sound, people usually tend to go the other way. But, of course, if that was your thing back then, then sure, it's going to carry a lot of nostalgia because we don't really get it too much. It's not like it's the kind of thing that people are really hammering their, hammering down these days. Well, I think most of those it did ba- die. Well, cause, well, see, well, yeah, it did because most of those bands evolved past it. You know, bands like Disturbed and System of a Down, right. Right. they all went somewhere else eventually. Right, but here's my argument with this particular track. This, I, I feel in many ways that there was more to garner from, uh, from Evanescence back then than there was from this track. I feel like, in a sense, one of the reasons why people loved Evanescence back then is because it had that dark tonality. It had that grit that seemed to, you know, be the uh, the understandable follow-up to uh, an industrial 90s style. So here along comes Evanescence, and people start throwing words at them like emo and all that stuff. I feel like, you know what, as, as much as it was made fun of at times... There, there was something there. It did have a dark quality to it, and you know what? As long as you stick with an emotion and you go with it, then more power to you. This felt like it was trying 
to go the dark route. It had some potential for darkness, but it was unrealized, especially considering the title, as you pointed out, is called Our Demons. I feel like it just wasn't getting there. Well, because well, uh, that abrasiveness doesn't quite lend to that for me. It feels like it, the, the abrasiveness was taking away from the dark side and going in more of just a cliched trance side yet again. Actually, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna argue that a little, and I think it was really, what really did this for me. This track was the overuse, like the the the, the real pushing the boundaries of electronica ing, or auto tuning her vocals, and then using that um, that synth chime work, that synth real hi hat type of a work to rehumanize it. I love that duality that was going on there between the two. It did a great job of really expanding upon her notes that really, when coupled with those real slow percussions on on, on the low end, I, I loved. No, I, I actually think I know the moment you're talking about, and I did like that moment. It was more of a breakdown, kind of a slowdown, around like the 350 mark. It, it gave the illusion of this, this slowdown, which again I kind of noted in the previous track, which tend to be the moments I like better here because I'm not as oriented with the whole abrasive side of things. I find it I I find it loud, I find it overbearing a lot of the times. I, I feel like some breathing is needed in a few of these tracks. So when it does slow down, it it seems to find itself. It seems to find the soul that was hiding behind all this fluff otherwise. I mean I will agree with Steve on the fact that even though I did enjoy the track it, it definitely didn't feel as much as Our Demons would, the title had dictated, that kind of inner brooding. It, it just, there was a lot of fluff within it. There was potential for the inner brooding, but it, the core, the, not the chorus vocals, because the chorus vocals had the brooding nature, but the chorus sound, the melody chorus, that was instrumental. It was a little too high. Yeah, it didn't have that brooding feel, and I felt that's where it kind of fell short. Well, I, I like the song. I didn't want brooding from this song, though. Yeah, see, that's the temple alone. All really what we just, were looking for. <laughs> I didn't want that. I didn't need that. I, I wasn't just, expecting that. And I, then again, it's it's not fair to fault it so harshly based on a title alone. There are plenty of songs we've liked that. Well, didn't no, match I mean titles. the title was more of a was more of a an afterthought. It was yeah. it was it was the fact that the presentation of of darkness when it was there offered me something. Right. It offered me something new for this album, and I felt like that was when it was at its best. That's a fair assessment. But here, I will agree with a few things. Because we're, we're, all, we're just focusing on this one thing, trying to figure out where we're placing it and what we want out of it. But there are some musical elements that I did like here. I realized, whether it's EDM or IDM or whatever, it's not so much about changing the rhythm of things, which really would throw any, any dancer off, so much as it's around ch about changing the accents. And this occurs in varying places throughout this, and it is also another element that I liked. Uh, for instance, when they're changing up the drums toward the ends of phrases, phrases here and there. They tend to get a little improvised, you know, they tend to, they tend to have these little flurries here now and then. Expansive. They're, they're yeah. playing. Yeah, and we get a little bit more of that later. And, uh, okay, uh, Skull Club, track three, had something a little bit different. Once again, we're harping, not harping, but talking about these differences from your standard electronica. Harpsichord, 
or harpsichord-ish kind of it an was, introduction. It was more harpsichord-ish. It was like a harpsichord because it wasn't actually a harpsichord. It was a electronic instrument representing a harpsichord. Well, getting more interesting still, this was a pretty in- an interesting exposition because of the fact that 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 piano is something I feel like we really haven't had much. I feel like the piano was kind of hiding. Maybe maybe it was there in the first track. It but was, again, but it, it was, was definitely buried amongst other stuff. Exactly. This is something when they offer new tones, I'm interested. And you're right, it did kind of have the, the resonance of a harpsichord, uh, probably because of the phasing that was on it. It sort of gave it this tinniness. Well, it also, it's still a piano. It also had yeah. something I noticed, and this was throughout uh, a, a weird, not weird, a great accenting triple beat in the background. That was. This um, is in the intro. This was in the intro, and this was throughout the parts where the the uh, uh, synth harpsichord keeps coming back. It's a, an accent that really helps you to define the differences from section to section, from uh, frame to frame, of what they're creating with this uh, tone. That really did keep it interesting for me. Yeah, but there is one thing. Mm. This had one of the most cheesy buildups I felt on so the entire we album. Are so this we are the, the, the biggest problem with the build up on this album on this track rather there were moments in the album too but this track is it had a very cheesy robotic voice that's cliche it's very apropos of Daft Punk and other Sandstorm and Zombie Nation and you Darude, name it Darude Kencraft all there that stuff um, I was naming songs you were naming bands thank you um, but the, the thing is though is as cheesy as the build was once it powered through into the explosion that followed, it was actually very interesting. Yeah. There was the, the the greatness that came after the build was was a lot more unique and had a lot more to offer. This is the first time where I was actually engaged by something that I'm sure the band was going for because yeah. they tend to yeah, they're they're focusing really on the higher energy stuff here. They wanted high energy here, and that's what I got. That's what I got out of it. I was actually Intrigued instead of eye-rolling. Because the fact is, earlier moments, these build-ups and then sometimes the climax, it's just like, you know, fist-pump your way into eternity. And that's that's not always good. But if you follow through, it can be really, really good. I mean, it, it, the, che- the, the build-up itself may be cheesy, but then finally once you hit that mark, I think uh, that's where they finally hit it. That's where they really uh, create, create a sort of a duality in the song itself. Uh, it, it became a uh, A B A B kind of composition in this track, and it I see it as more of an industrial techno versus a cyber techno. Just in the way the tones are set, they are related, mm-hmm. and there is connections in the me- melodies and everything like that. But there is a duality going on here, and it was in those B sections right after those tropey buildups that you really get the heavy glitch influence in it, especially in the vocals. And that's something I I really, really was enjoying. Little phrase work that was just halting and shattered on the edges that really give it a, a, a very airy, cyberpunkish feel. I mean, I would agree with the cyberpunk feel, but the industrial stuff, I got more of a sense in the next track when we get to it. And this one, I, I mean, I can see the cyberpunk to a point... Uh, but it still very much felt more close to trance and... and, and yeah. No, that's yeah, what I'm getting at. Trance, I feel like a lot of the problem with this record is I keep falling back on, you know, well, that's 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 typical trance. If you do something different with it, then then you have something different, then obviously that's going to be better no matter what. Um, let's talk about how they're doing this instead of 
what they're doing. And that is by changing the percussion instrument. It's not just that, but it's also the tone here. Again, the second you, you escape that cheesy buildup and you hit that mark, it, it's the tone that most intrigued me. And it's, it's strange because there's still some clichédness to this tone. But it sounded... The primary trance riff sort of consisted of these these almost satisfying tearing sounds or more like that of a high performance engine or like a race car or a motorcycle and that's what i feel like there is some clichéness in that because to invoke motors and engines kind of invokes a personality that i know too well being a staten islander like trance and v8s go hand in hand somehow either way culturally that's proven true but i'll admit on some level it's kind of badass and I think that's the tone that I really, really got out of this this main section here. Because that's not so present on the rest of this album. Usually, they're, uh, from a melodic perspective, they're more focused on the high end. That high end, typical uh, trance instrument that I discussed earlier, that's been here in the previous two tracks, and it dominates the melody almost throughout this entire album. Here, we get something with a little bit more oomph to it, it seems. Substance. Well, substance is irrelevant when you're talking about just one sound. That's true. I'm not talking about the whole entire form of this track. I mean, I think John's pretty on the mark when he talks about the ABAB. It just kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. And then once you return to A, it's just as impactful as it was the first time you got it. And it actually wasn't just a regular A, too. The revisits that we go through here... uh, the deep end, the dark end, the percussion end really undergoes some pretty interesting changes. And that's something I'm really liking about the album as a whole. I like what they're doing with the, quote, bass and drum range. The lower register, the deeper registers really are different from song to song. And in the track themselves, mutate. They change up and they keep it fresh. And that's one of the things that has always drawn me to, to electronic music is that lower register is that percussive register and you mean how, it... how complex it is or how complex it can get potentially yes or just the yes. tone of it all three in this case it does go on undergo some real tonal shifts but the complexity changes it becomes sweeter it becomes softer and it goes into like a real frantic pieces I love how they're able to play with it, yet still keep a very steady tempo. I think it's that franticness that that also drew me to this. Because once once all is said and done, and maybe me, I'll retract that. Maybe it is substance in the end. Because once you fall back on these uh, these drum bits, it gives you something else to focus on. Um, it's sort of an expanse of what I said in the previous track, where you have these you have these drum lines that are fairly straightforward when they start. The phrases in the beginning are a lot more straightforward than how they end. When you get to the ends of these phrase, phrases, the drum machine kind of goes on steroids and it allows you to play around with those accent marks again. When it's jerking around the accent marks, then all of a sudden it almost seems like it's falling out of tempo, even though it's really not. That's when I think the, their beat work is at their most interesting. It's usually at the ends of phrases where they do this. It's almost as if the drum gets a little bit improvisatory. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure with the drum work, yeah. and we get. And of course, a- it's just a beatbox. Obviously, all of it is planned. But either way, I can imagine you know someone sitting there at at the well at the keyboard. See, it's not all. Pl- I mean, yes, it's planned to a point, but you can create a beat by improvisation. Of course. And so, I mean, it could have been part of it. Could have been improvisational, initially, like them just messing with the beat, seeing where it went, and then 
laying it down after the Yeah, fact. but then again, that falls into the argument that, I mean, really all composition yeah, was true. improvisation at some point. But something tells me that after you go through the motions and are sitting there putting all these notes in the right place at a computer, at some point you had to have decided on something. Right, well, I mean, but they could have been using a beat machine to build a beat, too, and that, you know, that kind of an input device would give you more improvisation freedom than inputting the specific notes into a computer. Well, theoretically, I mean, yeah. assuming you have presets or something sure, like sure. that, but, you know, this is kind of splitting hairs. Either way, the outcome was fairly successful. Would we agree? No, I'm going to go and say it was pretty damn good. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was This was a nice successful. little highlight for the early part of the album for me. Well, I'm going to bring one thing back, though. I did feel that this track ran a little bit long. And that was the repetition of the A section. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a shame, because that almost goes against what I said before when I said every single time the A section comes back, it's it's just as intense as it was in the beginning, but maybe that's the problem, is that it was merely just as intense. Not more intense. Yeah, you know, this this is one of those areas where I feel like it maybe could have benefited from some uh, creative post-layering, which yeah. usually is a cliche in itself. Hey, just, just tack on more stuff, you know, At as we end, return yeah. to it several different times. But this time, it, it actually probably could have used that. Instead, it, it uh, kept itself somewhat interesting by being uh, arranged in different ways each time. But even so, you, you, you still can see right through it. It's clearly just A, you know, treated differently. A in C's clothing. <laughs> yes. Or something. Yeah, no, no, no. I, that's, that's not bad. That's not a bad... Um, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, but going forward, we get um, our, our, our next featured artist song, Becoming Harmoni- Harmonious, featuring Metal Mother. Metal Mother. Um, which is another duality song. So this song is actually one of my favorite songs on the record, and the big Mine too. Re- the big reason for me though might be different from Steve, um, just by guessing. Um, the the reason this is one of my favorite tracks is because of the industrial post rock route it takes. I mean, I'm a big fan of industrial rock. I listened to a lot of it in the 2000s. Along the same lines as Disturbed and 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 all of that. You know, there were band. You know, the bands like Nine Inch Nails and Orgy and some other bands that were between new metal and industrial that I really dug and this had that kind of a sense it was you know the, the in this track the solid chorus the industrial post rock sound really made it feel like something that was midnight mid 2000s that I would have really loved so my my view would be different just by you guessing right not not the conversation we had before the podcast at all correct of course of course not it's not ba- it's based on theories not fact of course well i i i think one of the reasons First, let me just tackle this intro. It, the beatbox okay. with muted reverb. It's sort called... of akin to a dark, unforgiving city. The kind of introspectiveness that you get out of movies like Underworld or Sin City. Which came out in the mid to late 2000s and featured those industrial bands I just mentioned. <laughs> so we like it for the same reasons. <laughs> but you're not seeing through my sarcasm at all. No, not at all. Well, that was a lot of sarcasm, because the intro, I thought, was actually pretty cliche, at least in terms of, all right, yeah, we're going to get dark now. I almost got more out of the Evanescence-esque track than I did this, until a certain point. I ate my foot the second the verses started, because they actually broke free from the joke, and they shut me right up. This, this, This tone really does take a genuinely dark turn, mostly driven by the melodies, which felt almost Sigurose inspired, which, you know, that goes back to, like, post-rock, the kinds of, the melodies, and a part of this had to do with the fact that uh, it has a very feminine, airy reverb to the vocals, even though the lead singer of Sigurose is male, but 
many were fooled. And then the melodies also were interesting for their brevity. They were very short, just these, these short little phrases that almost felt incomplete at times, which I thought really fit the mood of this track splendidly. I just loved it for the fact that we got a, a sweet, soft, soulful trip-hop song. Oh, you simpleton. No, with fusion of industrial music on top of it, flowing in and out of it. That's what I saw here. I'm going back and forth on this that, industrial thing. It, that's because it actually flows in and out. It's not throughout the It doesn't the whole stay song. consistently it's, industrial. It's, yeah, you're right. It starts and the, the, the core of it, the heartbeat of the song, is a, a trip-hop idea is a fusion of that that softer hip-hop side with electronica and as as many have put it until you can't recognize either but it's soft it's sweet and everything is added to it so yes you do get that harsher edge of uh you know high reverb industrial deep scary all that sort of stuff but it's softened by that original introduction throughout the whole song. And that keeps getting revisited in different ways throughout No, that's it. right. It's a, Retrospectively, I think the intro took a different turn on me. It's the kind of thing that led me to believe it was going to be something a lot more cliche than it actually turned into. And then when they returned to it, it was it actually fit quite well. And, I mean, that's also supported by the solid chorus work, too, in this song. I mean, the yeah. chorus work was very strong, and, and that's uh, a very big part to Metal Mother's contribution. There's several reasons why I love this chorus work. I mean, not only with the, um, with the resonance of the voice itself, but as I said, those really short melodies. There's this, there's this simple chord progression going on underneath, but it actually packs quite a powerful punch. It's just sort of this minor 1, major 3, major 7, 7 chord, and then... A major four and specifically on that seven seven chord there's this moment where her vocals at the end of this short phrase holds the seventh holds the seventh of the one chord right and it holds that note which anticipates the seven seven chord that follows which seems like such a i mean coming from the three i think is what really packed this uh so powerfully for me it's this just moment in that melody that really, I think, is the soul of this song, and in many ways is the soul of the album, because I was kind of straining to find another moment throughout that that really hit me in the same way, on a trance album, you know. I agree with that moment. That was one of the most startling parts of the entire album as well. It's, it was something that was... It's it's so unexpected and works so well that it's, it's hard to, to see... It is unexpected because of the fact that, again, coming from trance, I'm not expecting mind-blowing melodies. I'm really not. No, especially not pointed mind-blowing melodies of, you know, such precision. This is why this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. It's just that moment alone solidified the love I had had for the track to begin with. I enjoyed it as it were. Oh, so we are in sync? That's not what you said before the podcast, Matt. What? Quit... Okay, you're going to go just... to different corners if you guys keep this up. <laughs> he started it. We're I don't arguing care. Over I'm loving it. it for the, well, same I'm reasons. ending it. Different Shush. reasons. I don't know. I don't care. But, but yeah, both so, pretty. I mean, I really think that this song really <laughs> was well knitted together and that those, that, that, cl what you thought was that cliche moment, I do agree, Steve, is probably what made it so strong in the end. And is because when it was restated, it fits so yeah, well. Yeah, such that when it returned to, like, the interludes here and there, I think that was really echoing the intro. And it's funny because I didn't, I, it, it completely, it was a separator in my mind. I didn't interpret it the same way. I'm sure it was the same thing, but they were, it was downright beautiful. 
we can now move on to track five. I have one little thing to oh, lead no. us in to track five. Oh. The oh. outro. Oh. The outro. Amazing. Really, really amazing. Another one of those moments that separates it completely from trance. The keyboard steps in. Oh, and that's this, right. this was more of like a, like a 70s Billy Preston-esque kind of keyboard. Really interesting. Very light. Very delicate. And then the, the synth melody steps in there, but it's really not pervasive. The keyboard is really what, what tapers this song off and leads us into the very next track, Can't yeah. Kill Us. Yeah. And, and Can't Kill Us is a track that, I mean, ultimately on the broad spectrum... It had some of my favorite beat work on the whole album. I mean, the drum and the and the bass really were really were tight and really great. But it wasn't very well held together by the rest of the song. There was there was a very bare sound that surrounded the beat work. Um, and I'm speaking on a general sense for this track. But you know, I just it left me wanting. Um, that said, though, the way the kind of guitar work and the beat work sauntered is what really drives the song and I think is what managed to keep me engaged through the whole song well, it, wasn't, it wasn't just the sauntering percussion it was the, the melancholy I heard in the guitar it was that kind of mournful uh, feeling that it, they were presenting in the punctuation of the synth guitar that I think really did a lot for the bearer parts of the track but when they started getting complicated, you're getting great, yeah, great percussion bass level. I didn't like what was on top of it, though. It, well, not that I didn't like it. I didn't really in, fixate on what was on top of it. I was trying to reach for the lower end of the spectrum, which was hard. I have very similar problems. The only thing is, I, I feel like even that, even that is a secondary problem, considering that this is another track that sort of took a odd turn. In this case, not so much in like a satisfying direction. It... It started out, I am going to give this album some credit in terms of that it probably does have a little more uh, genre variety than I, than I originally expected. Because the intro here was sort of that of a, a southern rock feel. It was very kind of gritty. You know, maybe less metal this time, but, but attacking that fake uh, guitar sound in sort of a different way. But it fell away so fast. It's what I got from about maybe the first 20 seconds of this track. And then once it dissipated, it sort of went back to traditional trance, kind of like what we had earlier. We do have a few of those interesting things, like what you mentioned, the sauntering drums. But even that is only at one section. It's more later, like in the B section, where the high end was just, it wasn't offering me any melody. It was off, it was, it felt rambly. You know, it, nothing that I could really remember later not like the previous track which is why i was holding that track so high is because that is a memorable melody not just for the fact that it's brief but just for the fact that it packs a punch with the chords beneath it this i have a feeling was uh not really moving through so many chordal changes it was just kind of straightforward i think that was because it was trying the the uh electric synth guitar whatever was trying to replicate both the melody and um, as a stand-in for vocal work and wasn't doing either well enough to cement one of those two roles. That could have been it. And that, it, it made it, like you said, rambly. And that was mostly in those those B sections. Actually, there's another moment in the, so I, um, in the song where there's a problem with the exact opposite. I think maybe there are times where the chords move a little too rapid sometimes that's the problem when the chords are are too rapid that you don't quite distinguish any particular thing it sort of it makes each chord change a little less impactful 
where the second everything shifts and the tone is supposed to shift, you sort of just take it as another movement of this track that never really seemed to have much of a goal to begin with. I mean, that was the problem. The second it, it sort of dropped that, uh, that southern rock feel, not that I was necessarily engaged in it, but it, it, it was at least different. It was at least something different, and they went back to something very familiar. Well, not yeah. just for the album, but for the genre itself. Well, yeah, and it, it just it, it lacked a cohesion. It very much felt rambly and just kind of meandering. It didn't really know where... It didn't really have a goal for where it was going. And that was apparent pretty much from the middle to the end. Um, you know, and it, how it resolves itself, too, is very much just kind of like... Isn't this the track where it just kind of falls apart at the end? It kind of just stops. There is a second phrase in the higher register melody, that, that trance melody, generic trance melody, I might as well just call it at this point, where it sort of starts to rise and get very, very high, but then that itself is the end of the melody. It's almost the only moment in this track where I felt like it was about to go somewhere or sort of take the melody to the, to, uh, the next logical place or to the new section or whatever, but it just kind of ends, and then it falls back into this sort of stutter, but the stutter actually keeps it in a loop and that, that's in the drum work itself. It sort of keeps it in this loop that, that still you're don't, not quite sure where it is. I guess some people might actually say, you know what, just enjoy it. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. But you, a lot of times with music like this, you need something to anchor to. Yeah, and we're and not so much ride enjoyers either. <laughs> you know. I mean, it depends on the track, but most of the time we need... No, it does, it does depend, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's about what you're going for. I mean... On the dance floor, maybe this would be more in the line of, of an improvised feel, and in it, as close as you get to improvisation for an entire track, you know, where you just let loose and that's do true. no specific dance step. That is. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, I but think it, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not really buying it. <laughs> I, I like it when you play devil's advocate, though. Um, moving Secretly. On, moving on I'll to. I'll never admit that again. <laughs> our next even number track, this time featuring Aya Volkman again. Um, it's called I Need My Memory Back. This one, from the get-go, from the minute the intro starts, has this very tropey pop techno feel. Um, it, it was very catchy, but very predictable. Um, that said, I was humming along, I was tapping along. Even though I could predict every upturn, every trend, every, every shift, I still enjoyed it. Um... I think one of those reasons also is because of genre shift. Um, yeah. Again, subtle genre shift. This was a little more techno than it was trance. In other words, the complexity really lived up it, to it. It didn't feel like it, it didn't feel yeah, like it was that. filtered through, you know, a trance envelope. Uh, it was it was legit techno, and techno does tend to be a little bit more technical. Go figure. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that... Um, I, I, I talk about this on several occasions. The kind of stuff that I, I used to listen to in these various shops that existed on the Bowery, which seems to just... They're record sh stores, but they only sell techno. It's all they do. And, you know, some of, it's the, some of it is very slow and repetitive, but then within that, there's this strange technicality to it where the drum work gets very bizarre in certain places some of it repeats but then it has these segments of of just burgeoning forth and this felt like it borrowed straight from that tradition yeah you can definitely get a sense of that i mean in the construction too of the song just the way they combine the beats with the rhythm um I, the chorus was very very you know very much a standard chorus no was not a standard chorus i think this the vocals were actually pretty top-notch 
And I saw something neither of you really talked about, and that I felt it was definitely doing a little bit of a throwback to early Daft Punk. Early the second funky, you pointed it out, I agree. Early funky Daft Punk. I agree. I didn't and mention it, but I noticed it. And I mean standard chorus by what you'd standard you'd expect from a standard techno pop chorus. No. Yeah. I thought it was better. No, but standard. I'm saying trope wise, it's still better. It it hit all those beats that you expect. From a pop techno song. It did. Whether you thought it was better than those songs or not is irrelevant. It still hit those tropey I'm beats. a little with John on this. I think the second it turned, it, it made a Daft Punk turn is what made this most, most unique. And go figure, it's the same exact reason for every other uh, point in this album where I've noted that the track, that, I mean, that that it was being unique, that it was separating itself from the framework of the album. And it's usually when they choose a melodic instrument a melodic line that is different from that same generic trance trance instrument synth instrument let's just call it that i've been describing thus far for this it almost sounded like a flute it was like a kind of a muffled flute obviously an electronic flute but it it was something different that's not like what we've had so far and that's what made it sound sort of deaf punky because they they frequented that instrument it sounded like at any moment they were about to break out with their signature vocalization Okay, so then not standard, but definitely a familiar Daft Punk sound. Yes, uh, we'll say familiar. You, it's familiar definitely to, familiar, for but Daft Punk, yeah. I, 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 I just couldn't use that word. That's why I was arguing it. And I know that... Maybe it's because that's why Daft Punk got popular. Yeah. You know, Daft Punk got popular because they were different. They used different instruments, different sounds. So, yeah, I can kind of defend this on the fact that maybe they're copying Daft Punk, uh, bleh, Daft Punk but... That's that's their benefit. And they're while, they're at least paying homage. Wall was really familiar in in the builds, the rebuilds, the breakdowns. That doesn't mean they weren't really very well done. I think they that a lot of lot of thought went into a lot of this, especially into the build layering, the the re-energizing. Yeah, you knew exactly how it was going to happen and when it was going to happen, but still the tone choices, uh, the shifts that they were putting in there were just for me, just doing a great job. I've already rescinded what I said. Uh, standard was the wrong choice of words, but it was familiar to me, and that was no, because saying, it sounded like Daft Punk. No, but I'm expanding upon that. I think that familiar is great in this case because I think they took something familiar and did it exceptionally well. It's they, an exceptional familiar piece. You know what? It's the same principle as before with you and the evanescent sounding stuff. Yes. I think it's nostalgia. If it's nostalgia towards something you enjoyed, then that's positive in the end. Yeah. So this is going to, and you know what? I'm going to actually be a little more bold and say this is somewhat broader because most people will not argue that Daft Punk kind of holds the torch for reason of being a more standoutish electronica group. But yet, how many trans bands do you know? How many trans groups do you know? You know, DJ Tiesto. <laughs> this is one that I know just by virtue of chance, but not because I'm actually remembering any of those melodies. So, yeah, they paid homage to the right person. I want to talk about something separate now, and that is the whole B section here, which I think you were starting to touch upon, John. Yeah. Where it starts getting a little crazier. In terms of form, it's a little bit harder to, to, to put together at this point. And you threw out the word... Prague at some point. Yes. And I Not, understand in principle why. Yes. And that is the way... And Prague is a word I want to use for a couple of songs coming up. Not just this one. But it's still not the most appropriate word. They take the idea of Prague and... 
strip it down to just the idea of let's be expansive in our music and then revisit things. They do this. They do it extremely well, but it still doesn't have the same oomph that you would get from prog metal or prog rock or anything like that. Right. Well, I think I have some justification for that. I think I, I have a lens through which to view this. It may not be prog in the traditional sense, because, yeah, prog really takes a few measures of this thing, and they move on to a few measures of that thing. It just seems to endlessly expand until they finally finish doing what they're doing, and then they eventually return to their chorus. Well, this is not too far off, because I started to see this, this track here as, as sort of a ternary form, an ABA. The A is the, the sort of Daft Punky feel that we got before, and then this B is really where I would most liken it to prog. I would liken these these shifts to be so subtly dramatic that they're not so connected to the previous. They, they carry one thing over, like they'll carry the beat over, they'll carry a few things, but then they always change up the next instrument. So in this slowly expansive way, yeah, you do get a little bit of a, uh, a prog sensation. But I think I see it as more of in improvisation at the end. Kind of similar to what I was saying in the previous track, but here maybe a little more so. I, I feel like this whole B section in a way could be considered what I would love to call something like stuff. <laughs> well, no, no, this is actually a reference. Uh, there was a band I saw called Rat Dog, which was a, an offshoot from the Grateful Dead uh, with a couple of surviving members um, back at the Beacon Theater a couple years back. My roommate took me to it. And they had this little tradition that whenever they did a concert, whenever they reached, like, you know, the 10th, 11th, 12th song, you know, each one of them, of course, being much longer because of the concert, and they get to expand, and they're a jam band, so boy, do they expand. They got to this moment where it's just about as free as you could possibly expect for a jam band. And I got the release of this, of this concert that was actually recorded straight from the sound box, straight from the mixing board. They recorded a CD, and it's the live concert, and these are labeled. And when they got to this point, I wondered what the hell they were going to label it, and they actually call it Stuff. It's a tradition they hold. Every single concert, they have this moment. And in this particular case, it was two drummers. It was the guy who was already a drummer, who I think was Jay Lane, also a former drummer for Primus, and a secondary drummer, who is sort of a drummer on the side, but he just stands next to the other guy, and they just start drumming together. And it's this totally improv improvisational moment, which is why they just label it stuff, because it gives them total freedom. And I feel like this moment here was sort of that moment. Somewhat less so, admittedly, but comparatively to the album, yeah, this is that moment. And I think that was because, while, while it is less so, it's, it's still adhering to a very familiar form. You know when they're going to start jamming out. You don't know exactly how they're going to state something, but you know that... Right here, you're going to get a nice culmination. Mm -hmm. Right here, you're going to the, get the next step of the build. You just don't know yeah. how they're doing it, how they're approaching it. Yeah, form-wise, this was definitely the most interesting part of the album. And then the last thing I have to say about this this track here is also one of my favorite moments in this album. The uh, So far, they're actually building. The outro. Oh, the outro. There's this electronic hum, kind of like white noise, that sort of ends this track it sort of just just tapers everything off again i thought that was probably when they're at their most sonically experimental is when they start taking these you know again these darker tones i a uh, one one band came to mind tv on the radio the kind of electronic work that comes out oh, of that I band see, at I least see, yeah i see that uh that would be specifically the work of david siddick who is the, like the primary sound engineer and uh, 
co-founding member of that band, which is what gave them their whole tone. Um, even though they fall under alt, they're still very, very electronic-oriented, and he has a very unique sound, and this is the only time I've actually heard anything similar to it, is here, in this track. Um, combine that with another element, which is the same Billy Preston-esque keyboarding that we got earlier on this album. A little bit jazzier. Yeah. Fuse those two things together, and I think this is when I was um, head over heels for this outro. Even if not head over heels for every element of this song, I think this was, uh, again, back to the emotional core. It was extremely pretty. I knew you were going to like that. First time I heard it, I knew you were going to like that. Because it was... <laughs> It was it was that we're talking freeform. It was the most freeform part of the whole album. Yeah, it was it really, really was. the most spiritually out there part. Agreed. And then, <laughs> then, and we, then get, we get uh, my favorite song, and I'll argue this to the end of time. Oh boy, Sky Toucher. Sky Toucher, one word, is a Street Fighter esque intro uh, song. Um, I kind of want to drop the esque. Okay. Like, the, no, you could literally have thrown this on, on any SNES fighting game and not lost a beat. So, yeah, it sounds very much like you're playing Street Fighter. It's got that kind of sound bite, melody mix. Um, but, I mean, for me, as someone who grew up on that, I was. I mean, it, it instantly hit the nostalgia points again and kind of drew me in. It, it very much felt like two fighters. It, it had this kind of pumped up nature to it that kind of drew you in and got you grooving. I think it was a more creative fusion of the techno and the trance. I mean, granted, it's it's still kind of cliche in the end, which is why I groaned when we start this to sort of throw back to Street Fighter. But hey, whatever. It's separate from the album. It's, it's separate from the earlier stuff on this album, which was very trance-heavy. And we throw in a little bit of this techno here, and they kind of had a good thing going. Fueled and, by also uh, a melody that was a lot more playful. And hey, if you mix trance and techno, you get trance or techno. I I really can't argue that. That logic. hurts my feelings a little bit. <laughs> All right, now he he kind of schooled you there. <laughs> um, the reason I love this song, and it's not the best song on the album. That's the whole thing. It's, it's my favorite, favorite because because of the sheer variety of the percussion in this song. The speed, the style is completely mutable, is just off the wall, com continuously changing. I did not even pay attention to the higher registers. I, I, I couldn't. I didn't want to. I didn't need to. It was the deep tones, and like I said before, it's something I love about trance and techno. Uh, it was those, those deep, deep, rumbly drums and bass work that's going on there that is uh, just it's so much fun for me but i argue i that love what was going on i argue on. that's not indicative of trance because trance doesn't tend to focus on the bass too much unless it's just a very steady wub wub but beyond that i'm not really well, seeing no, techno, much more techno. Most. all right yeah all right techno dubstep all right there um, is a heavier bass in this separate section i love yes, what they do with that, that was interesting and because of the 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 variety of what's going on here it really to me showcased uh, all the things that they do with their synth drums. And I loved every little bit of it. I w yeah, you're right. I will give this two, two major points. Um, the first is that percussion. It gets very developmental later on. It, even if it is just the percussion that's developing. That's it's another still... part where I, wanna, I, yeah. I want to, but can't use the word prog. Yeah, no, I'll go for it because it's just like in earlier moments. The percussion is really the most experimental here. 
Uh, and then the other big thing is that melody. I, you know, even if it is just sort of the same generic trance instrument, it's, it's, I don't know, it's playful here. Yeah, there's, there's something, something about, about that this. playful melody that really draws you in. It just, it, it, it was very, in particular. yeah, it very, it's very engaging. There's a lot of slides I noticed, a little glissandi here and there, where it just sort of like bends upward, bends downward, it kind of quivers in little moments. It was interesting for that reason. Something to take away. Yes, Definitely. But it was still very digestible, too. I think that's what's really the key of this song, is even though it had all of these things and it was very interesting, it was accessible and digestible Maybe as well. Maybe it's digestible only because it's familiar. I mean, it there was probably because, aren't well, too many people who wouldn't recall, uh, listening to this music at least, that wouldn't recall the SNES era of, of side-scrolling fighting games, and it's just, you know, it takes they were, you back. If they were eight years old. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Well, but it's it's. I, I would I, an eight-year-old isn't the first person I would recommend this album to. <laughs> that's true. It was the uh, the melody itself because it was so light and airy and out of the way. I think that's what kept the familiarity because it it's familiar. It it for me it was able to become the actual backdrop for the song. Yeah, that's fair enough. Which also gave it a very positive tone in the end. I mean, there's that victory feel. That you, that's just... Okay, they didn't do the Final Fantasy fanfare, but you almost expected no, it. No, they didn't. But it, it gets it definitely gets you pumped. It, it keeps you excited to play the game. Honestly, I feel like they should just submit this to some sort of retro game developer. I wouldn't they be would... surprised if they have. There you go. That right, well, it doesn't us... have to be retro. I know a few that would do the same exact thing yeah, well, nowadays. That'd be odd, though. Fly by Night Only, featuring Yaros. Yeah. Double A, double R. Interesting. Um, would you say... What, what nationality would you even say that is with double A, double R? I uh, wouldn't dare try. To, to figure honestly, it out. I, well, considering the individuals go by the handles of Beretu, edit with a capital I-T at the end, and Ua. Are the names of the band members? That's their handles. If, I would assume that... Yarros is, is a handle, handle as in well. this case. Okay. Well, so Fly, Fly By Night Only is, um, I mean, the the first standout thing you really get about this track is the beautiful uh, kind of melodic tone that it's going for. Even though it's fast. Even it's though still, it's fast. It's, still it's very it's... fast. I actually think the speed is one of the reasons why the first thing that leapt out to me is sort of an Asian-influenced, maybe a J-pop-influenced uh, style. I'm not saying that, you know with all my heart but a little i kind of almost expected this to fall in some kind of anime we were actually going back and forth trying to describe what part of the asian visual and audio media it's part of or that uh, that at, at times i was thinking well uh chow young fat should be in this or maybe jackie chan or maybe evangelion i like couldn't pin it down like it was it's, all these little it felt aspects a little of media kawaii, wouldn't you say <laughs> yeah, it was a little kawaii. But it for me the 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 issue I I did have issue with it and that was it really just had a very classical electronic progression that in this case I didn't feel did it any good. No, yeah, I feel like this is um kind of a low point for the end. I mean, granted, again, you're introduced to a backdrop that is a little bit of a I, have, I feel like they have this tendency to dip into other genres, but they never really, like, go full force. And I know this sounds very ironic, considering last week's discussion about um, about an album that we were kind of half-criticizing for jumping around. Well, sometimes we were glorifying it, uh, but, of course, we had a big argument over it. Here, I feel like there's less of an argument. Um, 
this this band sent, tends to dip their feet, they dip their toes into various genres, but in the in the end, it all falls under trance, which still means I guess they kind of know who they are. But you know, it's tough at times to sort of give this album a soul of its own. It almost yeah. is the same problem that I had at least with last week's. Yeah, but it did feel more natural when it jumped around I felt like this week like you kind of expected it's only it because to... trance is the kind of thing that you can't escape from you know what's in trance you know front to back really yeah but isn't that I mean but that's what we're listening to here is trance so I suppose uh... there's gotta be some forgiveness for it trance is only a single element involved here I mean in this song in particular it still had uh, a lot of the glitch elements uh, with the scap- uh, scratching the skipping and the use in the vocals it there's, there's still things going on here this is i think i just dance. wanted dance wanted a... edm and trance are not as synonymous as you're using them all right that's fair but maybe that's uh, simply by virtue of i don't know as much yeah I, I, actually i know a little bit more trance than i do edm edm is something that um is a word that almost evades uh <laughs> almost definition evades... for you yeah a little bit electronic dance music. I mean, most dance music these days is electronic, so the de- definition is a little odd for me, I guess. Uh, but I felt like this album, at least at this stage, maybe the, the dip over into Asian-sounding stuff sort of pushed me in that direction. I feel like maybe this band sort of needed a trance personality, if that makes sense. Sure, they're in trance, and that's not a bad thing. I think that they 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 do good with it. I mean... Granted, I was more invested in more of the darker-sounding tones from the beginning, but that that's neither here nor there. If there was more of a personality behind the rest of it, I would be more invested at this stage. Okay. Oh, well, I'm not done with this, because this is going to bleed straight into the next track, where I have almost the same exact problems with, if even more so. Well, yeah, for me, the next track, I mean, I have even bigger problems with, mostly because... Carry the Sun. Yeah, so Carry the Sun, I mean, starts with this very almost cliche-sounding hero theme um, that carries the first, like, 40 seconds or the so. The house tribal-esque beat work that's that's uh, thrown into it as the starting point. Now, here's here's <laughs> the thing. We're getting away Describe from... Describe me, house. Can you do this? More tribal than trans. EDM, okay. All right. Brief history lesson. EDM encompasses everything that is house music, club music... Trance, techno, a few other minor ones uh, like dubstep. Well, not minor, but dubstep, hardcore, um, and a few more that are escaping me right now. It's any sort of music that you're meant to dance to. So while you've been seeing a lot of trance, there are a couple of songs here that you just can't say trance with. And this is one of them. This is house more than more than trance. This is because of that... Um, kind of familiar with what you would expect like system or disturbed like we were talking about before that actually makes perfect sense considering this track um all right which actually almost uh inspires me to take away my previous comment because then really this is doing the exact same thing i thought it was doing less i took this track initially to be more of a generic trance but actually now that you've pointed that out that is a significant difference that says that this track is yet another um Personification of EDM. Yeah, personification. More more of the core trance dipping its toes into another related genre. Yes. Now, the biggest... It still does less, though. 
the problem is this song still does right. that. So That's I'm not imagining it, this. No, it samples from the previous eight tracks. This, blatantly see, that's what points. I had initially thought it's, no no it's it not does. just it's not just because okay track by track we can say they do have distinct features the distinct features of Carry the Sun have already been presented to us yeah like the harpsichord I was kind of upset that that harpsichord piano was back the original beat work and, and higher register that was in Mind of the Beast I mean this is not unique in any way. This is a sampling of the previous track. This song, this song mm. is a regurgitation, and the biggest problem with it is it's not the last track. I'm glad we got the last track because it's gorgeous. But this song would have served a stronger purpose if it was the final track, because at least it would be a conclusion, oh. almost a summary. But it would have been I a disagree poor with summary that, because that would have been it's insanely weak. I mean. I all right. I see what your point is here, and and I'm not saying I would have been satisfied with that. I'm saying structurally, it would have served a better purpose than being the second to last song. As the second to last song, it I does actually no. Like, I actually feel like the penultimate. I'm gonna defend it on that reason alone. The penultimate track. If you're gonna have something, if you're gonna have an album of this style, where you have all these dipping toes into various things, but you do have a core essence, as it were then you state it early in the album, as they did, and then I think the place to do that is the penultimate. Not the final. Not okay. the final track. The final track is where you leave your audience on something that is a little bit more original, more unique, which the final track certainly is. So it, I'm not saying, I'm not defending this track, because it's still kind of... I, it's the, stale. My issue is that I think the core essence of this album is weak. Which means that structurally, them placing this here is correct, but it's still weak. Because if it wasn't really that engaging in the beginning, it's really not that engaging here. I'm just saying that structurally, they were, they were doing the best with what they had. Right. With the written material, this was actually a... a the tr I'm, I don't have any issue with track placement. Okay. It's such a minor point, because the track still is weak period regardless yeah. of structure um this is my devil advocate <laughs> yeah, yeah but moving on to the final track of the album uh beauty of the unhidden heart now first of all because i've been actually trying to focus more on the emotionality of title naming as well because i feel like you can say a lot from a title not that every track always fits its title but this one certainly did that is a really nice title it's beauty beautiful of, beauty of the unhidden heart Isn't the idea of alliteration well and also the idea of wearing your heart on your sleeve your unhidden heart this is my heart for the world to see and it conveys that not only in the title but in the structure this song is featuring sister crayon another female vocalist and i mean from the moment it starts it's heartfelt it's passionate you get this loving and longing feeling it's even once the beat kicks in got this sensual vibe it'd be impossible to to talk about this song and not talk about this kind of sensual nature i can easily see a grinding swaying dance style to this song because it gives way to that and it's in this tribal kind of heartbeat kind of sound that it can conveys i'd subtract the, the grinding yes okay the swaying though a very but close dancing not grinding but very close yes fluid Sensual, body no, movement it's a slow dance yeah it is in fact a slow dance and that comes across the 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 really unique aspect of this song is the uh once again a duality which we haven't really visited in a while the alteration uh alter alternating words are so hard at times the alternating between electronic and acoustic 
it's Actually, not that's, true well, acoustic. No, it's not. It's not true acoustic, but it is not it's an a computer acoustic. synth. Yeah. It's a much more true to the original source material type of a feel. And it, they, it, it's they an sound, illusion in the end. It's still yeah. an illusion. But no, I see what you're saying. They're actually think, going for realistic instruments, physical instruments. Sounds. I believe in this particular case it was the harp. I, I think there was actually a sound there. Where, I mean, I, actually, I think it was... Piano throughout. was throughout. And I think this harp was, too. Guitar was throughout. Acoust- acoustic-ish guitar was throughout. I could be mistaken, but I really heard this as a harp. Again, and there's always some, some room for, for was, debate here because this is a track that... Um, well, because, because all of the sounds that they use are electronic at their core, there's always going to be a little bit of flexibility where they can add a little more high end and just kind of take away from what the true timbre of these actual acoustic instruments are but that's the tone that i got and it made it all the more beautiful because who doesn't love a harp and it, it it's that alteration and the reimagining i found in the uh electric sections the electronic sections that where they they bleed from one to the next and really Turn it digital, but don't lose that forlorn sensual essence in the actual instruments. Well, this is much more of an expert it. blend, right? And well, and that expert blend is fine, finely crafted with the female vocalist too. She adds a humanity to it that really blends these sounds together and really gives you this this sense of longing. It, it feels I think very you heartfelt. You just hit the the nail on the head in terms of what I'm lacking in the rest of this album: humanity. Yeah. I think that is the core element that I'm that I'm taking issue with. There are literally two tracks in this album where I have that humanity, and that is here and uh, earlier on. Um, becoming harmonious. Becoming harmonious, exactly. And and I mean, but but what John had pointed out to me actually is emotionally, on this track, um, it felt very heartfelt and passionate until the female vocalist kicked in. Then you got the sense of love and longing too. It's not just love and being in love. But also this longing, being apart, is tough as well, and you get a sense of that distance too. Even when she auto tunes, yeah, even which when she is auto-tunes. like real. That's difficult to pull off, right? But that auto tune is also a perfect blend of that humanity and technology too. It really blends and bleeds it together. That auto tuning of the voice, and that's mm. that's that's something I, I actually yeah. really really enjoy about this band. I love how they just take two ideas or three ideas. And try to make it work, regardless of whether it will work or not. They at least are attempting fusions throughout this whole album. You know, they're attempting fusions, um, but the funny thing, I, I, I feel like they're doing it in such a subtle, careful, safe way that I, you know, I can't, couldn't even come close to calling this album experimental. No, I would never say that. Me neither. It's way too safe for that. It feels like these are the kind of these are almost the kinds of things that that come naturally when you're trying to make trance more interesting. I would say though, between the outros and intros on some of the tracks, the moments in some of the tracks, and then this final track, like last week's album, I'd be really interested to see what their next album is going to be. This is only their sophomore album, and they do some really interesting stuff on here. So I think they're still finding. Their perfect niche, and I think it's it'd be interesting to see where it goes from here. They do. They got rhythm, and they got they got the power to reach out when they want to. Um, and and I will also uh, play devil's advocate with myself for saying that this. I don't think I don't think the emotional core is really what's at most important here. I think the the dance music is what's most important, and um, some of those tracks where that I thought were forgettable. Uh, 
maybe it's okay that they are because we had this discussion back not too long ago episode 89 uh with um pharrell williams album his album was dance music at its core and that's really what it boils down to in the end is can you dance to it will it keep you engaged on the dance floor and probably this will even keep you a little more engaged maybe than um than some of that stuff on pharrell williams album but it's just that he offered a little more and he wasn't confined to the niche of any particular niche other than his own um here this still does seem to be a little confined I guess I'm doing the outro. I'm in my, my wrap-up at this point. Um, you sure? I've kind of already done it, in a go. way. I think this album is actually very similar to to Beck's album back in 84, episode 84 in this regard, Morning Phase. I recall the issue with that album was that the opening track, Morning, was utterly gorgeous and led me to believe I was going to get... Uh, a wash with feels for the rest of the album. Now, granted, this didn't happen quite so the same. It started off very cliche, but I find at the end, at the end of the game, the end of the Beck album, the end of this album, that there's one, maybe two tracks that really give me the same level of feels. The rest just struggles. It struggles to have a place. I'm not being anti, uh, anti-trance or anti-dance, but even that, that, region, even that area, that genre needs to have a soul at some point. Um, that's, I think, the challenge that they're faced with. So, yeah, I gotta give it kind of similar to to Beck. Maybe I rated Beck's a little higher because of the overall um, presentation of otherwise good tracks. I, I need to give this around the realm of 325. So a little bit above average, but not much. Yeah. I just want to say it's a personal victory for me as a human that I got Steve to say not once but twice feels unironically. You know, when you have guests called Head Over Feels, you kind of have to uh, embrace. They, Literally embrace. Yeah, well, because, especially you know. considering how popular they've become. They're kind of leading the way in, as far as pop culture goes. So, um, yeah, I mean, Steve kind of hit for me. Me and Steve were kind of on the same page with this record, mostly. I think I might have enjoyed it more than him, but as far as uh, presentation and, and composition and construction, I, I hit a lot of similar points with Steve. The only reason it rates higher for me is pure nostalgia. The two tracks that really were harder on Steve musically... I was willing to ignore blissfully because I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I really grooved with it. And it's a base primal level, but honestly and truthfully, we've rated on that before. I mean, we've admitted to our ratings being influenced by pure enjoyment as well. And if we can really get something out of a record, I mean, at the core, that's a big part of it too. You know, at least for my rating system, for sure. Um I mean, emotionally, there wasn't a ton on this record. You know, there were moments of it, pockets of it. But the the truest, strongest, most emotional song was the final track. Um, and I loved it. I mean, that's a song that I will listen to over and over again. I've already added it to a playlist. Um, so, you know, that one had impact. Um, but I will agree with what, I, I, what Steve said about last week's band for this band. Is this album makes me intrigued for what they'll do next. The, the good part, the great parts were enough peppered throughout the record 
that shows me they have a talent for this music and a talent for possibly even doing more. Um, so I think that's where my rating lies. The, the, the negatives are, though, is ultimately I don't listen to a lot of trance, I don't listen to a lot of dance music, and it's because I don't dance as much as I used to. I mean, truthfully, the last time I actually danced on a dance floor was when Steve was with me, when we went to see the 24-hour musicals at the after party. That's the last time I danced, which wasn't that long ago, but before that, who knows? I've already stated that I'm, that I'm more prone to dancing to funk than anything else. <laughs> yes. So, but that said, I mean, I like dance music, and I can dance to pop music and trance music and, and all different kinds of music. I mean, honestly... I'll interject, though. I do like to feel pumped. And, and actually, probably being from Staten Island, you know what? It, it kind of does leave me... When I do he hear that fist pump... Granted, I'm going to snicker, you know, uh, on the outset because of how cliche it is. But, hey, you know it what? You it pumped. does have a pumping it, feeling to it. I, Barney it has Stin that quality. Barney Stinson would put this on his Get Psyched mix. Oh, he would. For sure. It's all so, rising. It is all rising. All rise. It, until the end. But, so that said, I think that yeah. my rating is a little higher than Steve's, but not by much. I give it a three and a half, even. Um, I like it, but... There was just not enough complexity or diversity by the end, except for the final track, to really get it higher than that for me. Um, I give it momentary technicality, but I, I don't give it soul. Yeah, and that that's just the thing. From an emotional perspective, the soul was lacking. It was kind of hollow. Yeah. Um, but but 3.5, I mean, which is still respectable, and I, and I do enjoy it. I will definitely listen to this album again, because I did enjoy it. I enjoyed... Nine out of ten songs, immensely, Jeez. immensely enjoyed. But it's more like sweet candy. You know, it's kind of bad for you, but you still gotta, you know, have another Snickers or Starburst or what have you. I likened it to hard candy. Yeah. Why? That too. <laughs> That's me. The, I don't know where the problem is. But you know there say. is one. I, but there is a problem. And I think it's the adherence to synthesized instruments. <laughs> That's to ironic. Choosing, no, the, the, the lack of infusion of a more natural tone in a lot of spots. Because beauty of the unhidden heart proves that it can be done magically. Fusing, fusing the technical and the, the uh, human together and making something very beautiful. Still, it's actually one of the most varied techno, trans, EDM, whatever you want to call it, dance music albums I've heard in a very long time. The songs really do have distinct sounds for the most part. I can pick them out on a second or third listen, what song is which, just, just by hearing the opening beats or hearing a, a snippet from the center of the song. They don't blend together, and that's something that is a big issue with electric music. It's also such a vast genre, though, that, you know, I feel like that would be conjecture, partially on our part. You know, no, I find, I, I find a like lot of... There's got to be more out there. I find a lot of the mainstream bands and DJs tend to just make one sound and then futz with it over the course of an album. Yeah, well, actually, that is part of... The bad part of what I remember about those Bowery places. Yeah. The, the other issue is this is not an album. Per se. This is a great presentation of what this band can do when they delve into other ideas. This is, I got this sort of an idea, I got that sort of an idea, I got this sort of, I got that. It was lacking in the theme department. Yeah. Quite a but bit. But it's not cohesive, 
with any major arc or theme other than it's EDM. That's the soul I described. Yeah. yeah. Soul um, theme or almost explaining synonymous it in this without case. realizing or that us. you're you're using yeah. the word soul is the same thing as what I just said. I do I argue no though that it had the arc. That's based on my track placement yeah. from before. Yeah, I but, do believe it had the arc. Theme it was definitely lacking. It but says what it, it says what it is, then it steps away from it. It comes back once more time to say what it is near the end, and then finally it says, but we are more at the very end. Very it's strong on arc, actually. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, I would like a combination of great theme in... But then you start going to other ideas. other Not other ideas, other problems. Like, look at uh, uh, Daft Punk's album for Tron Legacy. Great theme, great arc. But the songs lose some of the cohesion when you take them out of the actual album because they were meant to be placed together so specifically. So, I mean, it, it, you got multiple problems and it's sort of an idea when you're talking electronica. Anyway, wrapping up. This song, I, I love this album because it's so much enjoyment for me, but it doesn't have all the technical chops it needs to really bring it up. Still... It's a 375. It's a really great album for me. I don't expect five star from Electronic. I would love to hear it, but I don't expect it. Maybe that's just conceded for me. So me saying 375 really does rate this very high for a purely electronic album. So we'll be averaging a 35. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it's average on the simplistic scale, too. I mean, it's worth listening to. I mean, if you're a diehard trance fan, you probably want to buy it, but overall, for the general public, Definitely listen to it. You enjoy dancing to it. It's those I'm, little things, though, with, like the industrial, the rock, the kind of delving into Prague. That's on top of the the techno and the glitch. And everything. Yeah, but it's, that, it, that it's they subtle. have so many ideas, they just didn't do right. It's, one or two. That's why I think it's it's for the average listener is just worth listening to because I, I'm, I'm I they missed those with our, subtleties. I'm satisfied with our commutative rating. Um, yeah, I think it boils down to that. Um, being yeah, a little bit I, above subtle, average. Subtle often, often is just not enough. I think they needed to go full force in a few Pick of those something. areas. Do it. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah, much. Be bold. And moving right along, I've been listening to a lot of hip-hop lately, name-dropping lots of local and not-so-local rappers. Um, and we haven't really talked on the podcast a lot lately about what new music we've been listening to other than, obviously, the new album we listen to every single week. Um, and I had an interesting experience over the last week or two. Um, everyone knows the Wikipedia theory. It has different names. But the idea that if you, if you search an article on Wikipedia and you click just links to get to other articles, eventually you'll get to math. Or Kevin Bacon. No, it's, it's specifically if you click the first link in the main body of text every single time, eventually you'll get to math. And so this idea that you Inevitably. can... This, this idea that you can click on all these links in Wikipedia and find other fascinating things linked to that link and to the link before and so on. Well, I've had the same experience thanks to Schaefer the Dark Lord and hip-hop. Um, listening to his latest record, um, Sick Passenger, one of his final tracks is called um, Intervention, I believe is the name of the track. And it's essentially exactly how it sounds, a rap intervention where it's from the perspective of Schaefer and, like, five or six rappers intervening. Cool Z, Dr. Awkward, Adam Warrock, MC Frontalot, Jesse Dangerously. Some of these rappers I knew already. Some of them I didn't. So I clicked through, because on Spotify, when it has the featured, 
it links to those rappers. So I clicked on Dr. Awkward, who has a long, uh, a, quite a number of albums. His newest one, Blank Pages, I'd never heard. I know he did a song with Shape of the Dark Lord on that record. So I listened to that track first and fell head over heels for it. Listened to that. Then through that, I noticed that I don't know if it was him or a different rapper did a song with Kabuto the Python, so I clicked through to that, which led me to another rapper named Beefy, who just released a, a six-song EP that's Netflix-themed that I just downloaded um, that you should go buy on his band camp, and so on and so forth. And so I went down the rabbit hole so far just on hip-hop, and I'm sure I can do it with other artists too. And it was kind of interesting. It was very interesting and really awesome because I found these other bands who had new records out or new-ish records that I really liked. One, One might say you discovered the internet. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's that <laughs> idea that you can jump through on the internet, but through Spotify. Which I would we- hate to see who your guide is. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool to, to discover all these bands just by clicking from one link to another not having to go anywhere else except in Spotify. There was one thing outside of all of this hip-hop, though, that I did discover this week as well. Um, Jack White has a new solo record coming out just under his name, Jack White, and the new single and title track of the album, which I'm not remembering now, is on Spotify, which I listened to and was great. It was four minutes of awesome, which you would expect from Jack White. So I'm probably going to pick that album when it comes out. I'm calling it now. No one can argue it's on the air. I'm doing that record. Not disputing you. Um, so yeah, so that that's but that's been the big, big two big musical things for me. And it was interesting to kind of correlate it to this thing on Spotify. I hadn't thought to do until this week. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you are describing the the uh, facets of the internet, the, the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got I had one of those two reasons. It's a um, th- this actually is very close to something that I've described before. I, in, in case this is not uh, clear. Our topic of today is about how we discover new music, and obviously the internet is going to be a major component of this because it really is the new eye-opener. Before this, it was really a lot more bent on happenstance and who you know or the kinds of record stores you were attending. The internet age, and this takes us way back to episode one when we were discussing technology and its effect on the music industry, and it's a wonder I remember that. But it it really is, it comes down to that discussion, where as much as you want to, you know, maybe bash certain little elements of technology here and then, it, it is a massive eye-opener. For once, you have the power. You have the power. It is in your hands. Control is yours. But it's, actually, no, it, no. There is still some happenstance there, because, for instance, you know, you didn't necessarily plan exactly which link was going to lead you to the next, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth, but you did have some amount of control over it. Actually, I was one of my favorite guys on YouTube, and I've been spending way too much time on YouTube the last few months, is Markiplier. I love him. Uh, he, he is hysterical. I've met, I've seen so many different other genres. I love him because he does all these random video game reviews and playthroughs and all this stuff, and he's hysterical. But I saw that he liked a post where he was featured as YouTubers reacting to Baby Metal. And we came across Baby Metal. Baby Metal is the most interesting thing I've learned in the last month. Baby as a... Um, side note, Baby Metal is the wait, name wait, of no, a band. I'm going, I'm, it, oh, yes. you're getting there. Baby Metal is three under 16. I think they're 12, 14, and 14, or 13, 13, and 15. Like, they're that age range. Japanese girls 
who play J-pop melodic death metal. See, yes, that's no. going all the way. Remember we were discussing about that Asian-inspired track I went, deep here. I went today? deep here. This is, I can't understand what they're saying, but it's ridiculous because you have, they sing J-pop. They have that vocal work. But on stage and in their videos, and they're wearing, like, the Kiss schoolgirl uniform. And they're doing the gyrations, but they have spikes coming out of their wrists and elbows and knees. They are terrifying and hysterical at the You're same time. You're all about the show, aren't you? <laughs> no. It's I'm just remembering with, your experience It's coupled with, with the tone, uh, the, the tonal fluctuation between, like, real honest-to-goodness pop music followed with the guttural on top of it and blended in just such interesting ways. Is that a bore? It was a bore. Sounded like it. And or, we'll say, Simmons breathing in a little too deeply. I mean, he got he's got to have bad lungs by now, yelling all the time. It's it's such a weird fusion because it is still both pop and metal, and not only that, but death metal and J-pop, and it actually works. Like scarily, it works. And this was through another internet. This was just hop. just clicking on buttons on YouTube. Because well, YouTube will suggest what to click on. No, next. no, no, no. It was it was me going on and watching a video game guy, and he ended up doing a video about baby metal. Ah. Uh-huh. I mean, I still think in the end it does come down to uh, you have to have a certain predisposition to click on a certain thing, depending upon what you're already on. Well, yes, and also, but part of it is like how you discover music. You said before that now it's you're in control, whereas before it was community and where you go and right. who you know. Because of Facebook, because of Spotify, it's still where you go and who you know, but not without leaving the seat. It's still like, mm. I mean, a ton of my music recommendations come from uh, from you, from Facebook. In fact, one of the recommendations that's on the Facebook page for Crash Chords is actually um, something called Mouth Sounds, which is created, I can't remember his, it's Neil something, I can't remember Neil's last name, but he is the guy who did Powder Puppet Pals, he's the in the band Lemon Demon, he has a new um, mashup album where he takes all existing works, it's all stuff that he didn't make, but mashes it together to make it its own unique sound. And it was really interesting and really cool. And it was recommended by uh, Mary, a former writer for the website, um, posted it on my wall on Facebook. And I thought it was worth sharing on the uh, on the Facebook page. And that's who it's, I know. Uh, Neil Cicerega? Cicerega? Cicerega. Um, and, and, you know, and that's because of the community I'm in. You know, they recommend stuff. I like it. I share it around. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously I started with community was your own group, your own yeah. group of friends, and that was your community. And I still think I, I'm a little more traditional in that sense that it, it, it will still probably mean a little more to me in the end if I receive a, a band recommendation, you know, from a friend sure. or from... That's where I've gotten a, a, a huge amount of my music. But it's true that based off of that, because... Most of those bands, you know, in my formative years, from anywhere from middle school to present, um, pro- well, partially ending with college, because that's the last time you're really in, in a group of a large span of people who know people who know people who know people. It's 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 almost college is kind of like the internet of of the world in a way of a, a small group. 
Well, yeah, when your future career is that too. It's usually, if it's a good job, it's a community as well. True. But I, I really know people so lucky with their jobs. But then again, yeah, it does depend. There are jobs out there like that. Um, but the funny thing is that since those have such a profound effect on your performative years, they almost teach you what to look for later on. So even though those bands may have come from personal contacts, then when you take that the next step and go go forth toward the internet, then a lot of times you are looking for things that are related. And in my experience, I've said this countless times, and it's definitely relevant here, my experience with uh, the artist Sufjan Stevens and how his group, people, he had so many people who worked for him in the past. I, I never even read much about him as soon as I got into him, but I got into him based on friends in college and whatnot. So I was listening to his music back then, but I didn't really know much about him, much about the artist. Since then, I've researched. Since then, I've looked up uh, his, his entourage, as it were. And also, I found myself at various concerts by people who I never even knew were related to him. But then once I discovered, I realized that Sufjan Stevens is a really, really good place to discover new bands, for me at least. Because it seems that people who've worked with him on projects in the past go on to have very, very interesting careers. Especially when you told us the story of how you found St. Vincent. Yes, that was true with St. Vincent. It's also true with uh, the band My Brightest Diamond. Right, uh, who I know through you. Shower, Shower Warden, who is a brilliant composer. Uh, to look at her history is an exploration into a bunch of different genres. Yeah. Genres that, in some extent, I would argue that she invented. <laughs> and, and That's quite bold. That furiously unique. And also, actually, going back to community, too, community, just besides friends, the idea, I mean, the hip-hop community has always been very tight-knit, and this idea that, well, you do my record, and then I'll show up on your record, is rampant on these artists that I've been listening to, and it's kind of, the circularity is really great, because it is a great way to discover we ran, we ran into this just on the podcast here. Back in episode 52, we reviewed Queens of the Stone Age, Like Clockwork, and then just by chance, because we also happen to know a little history of Arctic Monkeys. So later in episode 66, we did their, at it, with their album, Arctic Monkeys AM. And turns out the lead singer of Queens of the Stone Age was featured on the Arctic Monkeys album, and the lead singer of the Arctic Monkeys album was on the Queens of the Stone Age album. Yeah, That's actually why I ended up in the long run getting and choosing the Arctic Monkeys. Because I remembered him from Oh, Queens. was it really? See, yeah, I didn't that's even why, know that. That's yeah. why it was on my radar. Yeah, see, this would have been the kind of, like, accidental, uh, for me, it was, like, the accidental um, uh, recall, but... Sure. I was like, oh, um, yeah, and also, still around. Honestly, another way I've really grasped new bands is still the good old-fashioned way. Good old live shows. Um, I wouldn't have known about Handjob Academy at all if it weren't for the Wall Street players and getting to see them perform. Well, that's it. My Brightest Diamond, actually, um, that's it was really a live show where I heard of her initially. And yeah. from there, it jumped off to St. Vincent. And like our, our now good friend, Louis Logic, I mean, I know him through Schaefer and Adam Warrock. That he performed at a show with them. And you did an great. article on several of these people who yeah. you're all following now as a result of just one person initially. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it, it's really amazing how a live show can really solidify that too. Who are all the names? No. Mark, like Mark Cahill. So uh, it's Michael Kill. Kill, right. Um, uh, Lewis Logic, Tribe One, um, Adam Warrock, and Schaefer the Dark Lord were at that specific show. And uh, and also it featured Christy B, who is sings Boys with Schaefer the Dark Lord, who has a forthcoming album that hopefully, and hopefully when she comes back to New York, she will come on the show. That lineup sounds like the Super Friends. 
It, it, and well, honestly, some pretty awesome names coming and, out of that. And it, it felt, does. but it honestly felt like it too because there was never a moment in anyone's act where they were alone the entire set because they've all worked together. At some point, someone else joined someone on the stage. Like um, Tribe One was the first one on, and, and Adam Warrock joined him. Michael Kill, when he performed, um, you know, uh, Tribe One joined him. Um, MC Frontalot, who was a guest there, sang with Lewis Logic and Adam Warrock on the, his song, Adam Warrock song Salier. That's another important thing, considering that MC Frontalot is sort of his is very well established within this within this community. Uh, a lot of times, when more established musicians within your group within your your genre mm-hmm. sort of give you the go ahead as a musician, that's very very important for putting you in the limelight, following in the footsteps closely yeah. behind them because then anyone who already is following them will now suddenly start to follow you it's, it's actually it's... how we discovered past and future guest hops as well he opened for schaefer at his album yeah. release party even before that and this, this happens in the rap community a lot yeah um, oh ice, ice t anyone he gives the go-ahead to oh sure made well because unit is the perfect example of yeah that. Sure. i mean they all had their own solo careers and but they were still part of one big Piece, and, and interestingly, jumping it out. Interestingly, with Ice T, anyone who he disses also is, is is ruined. Like like Soldier Boy, I haven't I heard much that. of Soldier Boy. I won't Boy. say that. <laughs> um, but a big guy, Dr. Dre, when the Doc does an album for you, well, yeah, back then, sure. If he does a song on your album, you're gonna be a made that's, man for a while. Well, that's why people. I mean, no disrespect to Snoop Dogg or Eminem. But but they were known also because they're singing with Dr. Dre. Because he Dre was a huge is making push the for beats, them. Man. Yeah, he was a huge push for them. Um, and 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 I I enjoy that community, and I think that's why I jump so deep into rap. Also because I find with the branches of nerdcore rap, especially, is a lot of them singing more about themes that I can relate to. I mean, Dr. Awkward has a song called "Find You Well," and it's all about him singing three different stories about terrible things that happened to him. But still, at the end of that verse, the chorus is he still hopes the song finds them well. You know, kind of turning the other cheek. And that's something I can relate to. See, Dr. Awkward, that's a great name for a super friend right there. Even the name is awkward. Oh, should, I should tell you then that they, there's on his album, Blank Pages, he does a song with Share for the Dark Lord where called Now Hiring, Dr. Awkward sings from the perspective of a hero trying to hire a new supervillain arch nemesis on Craigslist, and then Schaefer sings as that villain responding. Oh, that is... I, I, I have to know. share that, that with you. That might be meta. <laughs> right there. I do want to jump off into something else here. And sure. And do that thing I do. Play Devil's Advocate. No. Mm-hmm. Gotta do it. No. Because as good as this can be... I lied before when be, I said I like it. As good as this can be, this community and whatnot, that, that go-ahead that an artist sort of gives to the next up-and-coming artist, a lot of times that isn't as desired you know, for many artists, it's it's welcomed. It's, wow, you put me in the play. Even uh, considering the uh, story we heard at length last week with Lewis Logic, certainly it can be very much desired. And if it's, you can consider that an act of serendipity if that's put you in a good place as an artist. But there are times where you are in some ways pigeonholed as a result of certain artists who... You know, they give you the go-ahead. All of a sudden, now you're following in the footsteps of someone who you may never have intended to really follow through. It can be a great way to get into the music community, but a lot of times, you know, that's just not the goal. The goal of in- of music is individualism, not always community. You shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't never uh, out the introvert. Well, but the unique... which so many musicians are. Well, yeah. Well, the unique thing about a lot of this community also is that 
it's important when you're featured on another track to still can keep your unique voice. And that's the important thing. And I think that's why sure. artists like... Most moguls will will recognize that and identify it and give you your freedom. But, but sometimes it ruins it for the fans. Because if you expect too much, as a fan, if you expect too much as, oh, he's fighting, following right in the footsteps of so-and-so, who I'm really, really into, then all of a sudden your fans now have a preconception of what you are to be. Rather than if you were just to do it up independently, then you are garnering a fan base that is purely yours and yeah, but I your think, kind. Yeah, but I think it's still your fan base. I think it that's more of a problem for someone who has an image issue to begin with. I mean, take, take for example, Miley Cyrus. She started as Hannah Montana. Well, actually, she started as the daughter of Billy Ray Cyrus, which is an image on its own. Aki Breaky Heart had a huge, 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 huge reach. He never recovered from that, really. He had albums, but that was what he was known for. Then she was Hannah Montana, She's huge TV star, huge TV career and songs, and then didn't want to be that identity anymore. She'd been featured in so many different places in Hannah Montana, but didn't want to be that person anymore. Right, but I, I reject the notion that it's based purely on there being image issues to begin with. I mean, you could totally know who you are, but a lot of times that, that jolt into the limelight is really what what will affect you know that that next step that's the crucial moment whether fans jump on what you're doing or whether they don't but i no, what no, i'm no. trying to no, say no, is no. it's more personal than the fans interaction no 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 a perfect example that actually speaks to kind of both sides uh the dissolution of the 1990s boy bands that's what we're going to call that that event when everybody started falling apart name Someone other than Justin Timberlake, who was in a boy band from that era. I can name like four, but that's just because I'm a music fan. And player. was successful. They all had solo careers. NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, all the groups that were forming at that time. And those were the two big ones. But there was a lot of little ones. No, that's true. I would say J.C. Sachez, whatever his name was, the other lead on NSYNC was the only one who's somewhat memorable and he flunked out after his first album yeah solo because album. they were already they they got pigeonholed into a very specific role i'm the sensitive one i'm the introspective one i'm the sexy one like they got stuck like that that was something that was really played up for their images they were supposed to represent different personifications of sexuality yeah, sometimes to women. the goal sometimes the drive to uh to escape being typecast is not necessarily defined by you as an artist and yeah. your decisions. Sometimes it's just defined by the powers that be. Well, that's typecasting. They decided to put their to put their cards into Justin Timberlake, not the other guy. Well, no, well, it's, not also, just, it's not just that. Yeah. How do you make an album trying to do boy band if you're only known as the sensitive one and you are now just stuck by yourself? Well, the difference is also Justin Timberlake mm. has shown, even from his very first solo record, that he has skills beyond singing he was and on, writing. If I'm he, not sure, and, I'm not, I'm not, and that's I'm not what it really comes down to. All, because pigeonholding... We're, we're not talking about the ones that made it. We're talking pi about the ones that didn't. Pi yeah, but pigeonholding is parts of self-fulfilling prophecy, but part also how much you put into it. I mean, if you're not a capable musician oh, he worked and you off. fall out... That's it. Yeah, Justin Timberlake worked his ass off sure. to earn that respect and reputation. So did Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre started as just a rapper. 
but then busted his ass to become one of the most well-known and successful producers of our sure, time. Sure, but, I mean, well, the example that you cited with the other NSYNC guy, like, I can't even remember his J- name. J.C. Sasha. There you are. But, see, this is the kind of thing where, all right, we have that example, but you inevitably won't find any examples because if you didn't hear about them, you didn't hear about them. Yeah. They're, they're, I'm, I'm proposing that there is a whole slew of stories out there to, to back up what I'm saying that inevitably will never have um, the power of being examples to begin with because they never made it anywhere. In other words, you can say those stories about uh, Justin Timberlake because he worked his butt off, but it, theoretically, on the other side of the coin, you could work your butt off because music is the music industry is such an unforgiving place sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Then you can work your butt off and just simply not be recognized because the money doesn't seem to be in you to the producers. That actually speaks to um, the big fallacy we get with these now, for the most part, dying off uh, talent shows where you you got these people who really do have the ability to sing other people's songs. Yeah. They really do have the ability to just sing. And they really do have the ability to be marketed for one album. And even then, a lot of the winners, their albums don't really do it. A lot of the runners-up do have better careers because they were different enough that they got kicked off the show. That's the other big thing I hate about those shows. The person who wins every year sounds the same. The runners-up, the ones that stick it into like the final five and lose tend to be the ones with distinct voices. And we talked about they... this when we brought up our reality TV discussion. But they get pitched. That's the best well, I guess, I get no, that. I think, well, I think it's because they feature. want a TV... I think, in some extent, their their songs are also chosen, cho- chosen for them. They want TV-friendly music. TV-friendly images. In other words, a track that will appear to the appeal to the widest audience possible for instance i do remember i can't believe i remember this but you know what it's no wonder i remember this third season american idol I believe it was the third season uh third place no actually i think she was she the winner she might very well have been the winner this was a very odd example where um fantasia barino yes familiar yes yeah. was she the winner yes yeah i think so that year i think so she had i don't think this was uh one of her uh, primary performances, like her winning performance or anything, but she performed a rendition of uh, of George Gershwin's "Summertime," which real throwback. I mean, you talk all the way going all the way back to the twenties, thirties. There, that's not something that's really common for modern audiences, but it was an amazing performance. So there was some personality in there. It wasn't just what you describe: sing and regurgitate. There was definitely her own personality in in that song choice. But, I don't know, it seems to have gone by the wayside now. People don't remember that performance. I th- well, I, th- I, think, I remember it. I think it's overgeneralization, but to John's point, I mean, all there's so many of these shows now that they have to market it and cut it up, and that's why reality TV as a whole stinks anyway. Um, but bringing it back to how we discover music, that's another thing that's kind of on the negative side of social media and modern TV is some people discover music through that medium which uh, I think is point. trite crap, frankly. 
Uh, no, but it is a big source for a huge portion of the population. You know, and that's what led us to our pop music problem, I think, is it comes from that source. Um, there's no radio anymore, really. I mean, there is, but nobody goes to radio specifically. MTV killed except the video for, star. Except for NPR. <laughs> like, there's actually, I've heard lots of great music on NPR, because between the musical interludes and when they actually have featured artists, you can get a lot of stuff from NPR. I get better music from public radio than most of the stations. That's what it's I just said. Yeah. And so, they don't give they don't give you music. They just give you the facts about news and stuff like that. But um, being facetious, I, I think overall, though, I think the, 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 to bring it back to this, how we've discovered music thing is that how we find the how we find music has changed a lot over the years. But like, it's very interesting to still look at. Take a moment every now and then, and I think we should we'll do this on the podcast every so often, kind of take a moment to realize well, how did we discover this stuff where did it come from why did we find it is there a new way to find it it, it can help you plan your uh, your own personal progress as a expanding mind and I, mean, I think we should always be culturally expanded i don't think that's the kind of thing you should ever just say all right yep you're my go-to source for music and and that's it you know you need to know where you've gotten the best sources in the past but also never stop the search never stop the search because music changes time changes and people change too someone who you may have gone to for music years ago may not be the same time same person years later stagnation is poison always true i feel i feel like eventually i'm gonna have a like a hunter s thompson story of how i found music where i'm at bar i'm on barstow at the edge of the desert when the tunes begin to take hold and i just it's gonna be something like stupidly crazy i want to be on that journey I want to get on that bus. Yes, I'm so sure So bad you I want to get on that bus. Um, so, but yeah, so I mean, I just I wanted to take a, a moment to look at that because I think we really, and also as a, a purpose for our audience, all five of them, to have a different way to find their music too by yeah. our suggested sources. And I Talk all, to your friends. I simultaneously propose the alternative. I think independence is also good sometimes. Sometimes you need to get away from your sources and take the bull by... Your, the its horns yourself. Well, I mean, um, the, the internet does, I think, give you that power to a certain sure, extent. But and I the just, same applies to what I was saying before about uh, aspiring musicians who want to put out their own ideas. Sometimes, I, I, it, for career purposes, it can be good to be recognized by by an older, more experienced person. But sometimes you need to go at it alone in order to. Uh, be a little more individualistic about your stuff. You just need yeah. to step away sometimes from society. Do a whole. Uh, a whole, you know, Walden kind of thing. <laughs> but at the same time, nobody becomes popular, you know, and gets their own, you know, concerts and everything like that right off the back. It's the guy that opened for that one big band that was awesome at that time. Yeah, that's true. That's who you that remember. That is the vast majority. That's how, used to and to some extent still do, that's how people blow up. Yeah. Because they opened for The Doors or... The Mamas and the Papas, or whoever was actually popular at the time. The Temptations, the Four Seasons, or Elvis Presley. I mean, that guy that was there beforehand, that warmed up the crowd. Yeah, well, That's one or two or three what people. what I was talking to earlier with yeah. those live shows that I went to. Yeah, they took them home. They were like, hey, you know what? That was pretty awesome. Who was that? And maybe before the internet, maybe now. But that's still one of the... I find to be the best ways to discover someone new. Because the live experience is personal for you, too. And it's always... That's true. Unusual. Like, you, if it's someone you've never heard of, it's going to be unexpected. Yeah. That's, that's definitely for sure. 
Um, I think this is a great place to tie a knot in it and uh, move on to our spam mail of the week before we, we wrap up for the day or night or whatever time of day you're listening to this. Spam! Safest messages or a toasts are usually launched at one point during the wedding but are likely to just be hilarious, humorous, too unusual as nicely. Greatest man jokes. Bye. S-Z-Z-E-U-L-B-O-E-Z-X-L-K. You shouldn't require prompting. You should say who it's by. We should recognize these fans. He likes me to prompt him, I think. Also, I didn't get it. <laughs> Will a repeat help? No. 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 Um, Safest messages. No, <laughs> anyway. That might hurt. Aura toasts? Aura toasts. I love that. It's more about how you vocalize it than what's actually written, I'm sure. No, it's still not English. Oh, that, that might have been the nicest thing he's ever said about me. Probably. And you have it recorded for posterity. You can play it back for yourself yeah. over and over again. <laughs> um, I haven't done this in a while, I'm so I do want to direct fans. people. Um, we do have a Facebook page. Please like us. We have a Twitter. The handle changed recently. It's now Crash Chords Web. Each word capitalized. Um, no spaces or underscores. Also, donate button on the website. We're constantly growing and trying to improve for you guys and we'd love to have more guests or even travel to meet artists or or improve recording quality um all of that helps from your donations and support since you guys listen to us and we're thankful for that um we have email addresses on the website you can find them on the about us page um individuals as well as a group admin email feel free to send us suggestions questions comments um, we do have a record that was suggested by a coworker of mine that we will hopefully get to in the coming weeks and uh, and, and review as well. Um, so please uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you f- do hear someone on our show, not just the albums we're reviewing, but the guests we've had, like Lewis, like uh, Hobbs, um, like Nelson, find them. If you thought they were funny, if you thought they were interesting, head over fields. Go like their pages. Get in touch with them. Check out what they do, because we're trying to build a community like we were just talking about. We're trying to build a community here of music plus. Music plus entertainment, music plus social connotation, music plus artists, music plus entertainers, music plus. That's what we're doing here. So there is, there is a plus. Yeah. These people we're having on the show, these bands that we're bringing you, these topics that we're bringing you, we want you to be aware of and, you know like them as much as we do we'd like to be an aid for the guests and musicians that we feature as well as an aid to our fans to expand their own sense of even if you're looking for a music recommendation we post on twitter daily just check us out see what we're listening to um ask us what we're listening to through via email or comments as well and that leads us back to um to what i was saying in the topic finding music finding music and how we find it i wasn't just pushing independence uh for the hell of it i had something my next album for next week is something that i got fairly independently basically by just looking at who was out i kind of just scoured modern musicians because you know a lot of times you find i i have a tendency to find bands that oh they just broke up two years ago dang but their music is so great uh, case in point, as tall as lions, <laughs> right. who I discovered right at the moment that they were breaking up, and I had to go back and and sort of love them for what they were. In either case, I was trying to find something modern, something modern and interesting, without doing that that wiki hopping thing. I basically just looked at the master list of everything that is being released here, and I just started to kind of skim 
gradually. And I came across Arc Iris. Very interesting of what I've heard so far, but for the most part, kind of in the realm of indie, but kind of in the realm of alternative, and they like to dip into very, very interesting instrumentations. At one point on this album, you're going to get cello, and you're going to get a lot of so it. So you've already heard it. Um, no, I just skimmed. Oh, skimmed. Okay, really and what's skimmed. the album called? Archiris. By... Self-titled. Oh, it's self-titled. Okay, the band and the album are Archiris. Yes, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, this is their debut. Okay, well... A band of fairly young musicians and uh, seemingly ambitious ones. Awesome. Well, we're excited to hear it. Um, so we'll see you guys next week. And remember, as always, music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good.